So hi and welcome to today's Dharma Things podcast with me, Miss, and some very carefully selected guests for little bite-sized conversations, just talking about various things that guide us and help us to navigate life, whether they are physically or emotionally related. We'll be sharing journeys, experiences, knowledge, hence the name Dharma Things. It's in the title and <laughs> trying to have a bit of fun along the way. Hopefully some of these sessions, you can find some inspiration, motivation, or maybe just some joy and understanding your own Dharma on the way. So joining me this week is the wonderful Misha from Alchemistic Studio. Um, Misha, hey. is all, <laughs> Misha is all the way over in Puerto Rico. So hi, Misha. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Right, all right. Thank you for coming on. Um, so you're in Puerto Rico. You're in the jungle. I am. I'm in the jungle, baby. I literally am. If I look out my window, I can see kind of unadulterated jungle. I'm right by El Yunque, which is the rainforest preserve. So yeah, it's very special. Amazing. And what are you doing down there? <laughs> Um, I am working with Alchemistic. So because, you know, I created an online platform, which I'm sure we'll dive more into. I can go, you know, anywhere in the world. And I've always wanted to live on an island. I feel really connected to the jungle. I have Indian ancestry, which is a very jungly uh, location as well. And so, yeah, my partner's Puerto Rican. And I was like, let's go. And we just packed up and came here. Amazing. Wow. <laughs> That's the good thing about this online world, isn't it? You can literally go anywhere. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So tell us stuff about your history then. How, how did you sort of get into what you do? What became, came before that? What drove you to be where you are? Not literally what drove you to Puerto Rico, but this, you have this online studio, Alchemistic Studio. Um, so Tell us about what happened with you through your life and, and a little bit how, how you got to this alchemistic studio. Sure. I, I've traced it many times and I think I can genuinely trace it to my birth, why I love yoga. So I'm first generation. I'm the first person in my whole lineage to be born outside of India. Wow. I was born. Yes, I was born in Oklahoma, which is the most random thing ever. <laughs> uh, but we moved out of there to California within three years. Um, so my, my parents are from India, my mom from Kashmir, and my father from Punjab. And I grew up in a very uh, traditional household when it comes to spirituality. We would do puja, and I would fall asleep to Sanskrit mantras, and we had the deities everywhere. And so I grew up in that atmosphere, and I really liked it. I think some kids maybe grow up in a religious or spiritual house and they don't vibe with it. But I remember I have pictures of me like really young praying and being really absorbed in meditation and spirituality. So it's always been a part of me. And um, I lost it along the way when I was a teenager. Um, my parents got divorced and my mother was uh, kind of abusive. And so I kind of went like there is no God, you know, their spirituality is bullshit. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to, I'm allowed to curse. Fine. Um, <laughs> um, so, and I found that I've coupled anger and hurt and trauma with a lack of like faith. 
Um, but it found me again, mm-hmm. eventually in college. And I reconnected to yoga as a practice, not only, you know, the spiritual aspect, but also the asana and the physical practice. And through those combined, I was able to heal myself. And I found such deep healing in it that I was called to share that with other people. I was like, if this helps me, it could help someone else. And that is part of a Dharma and Karma Yoga, as your, your name says, Dharma. I believe that is my Dharma here is to share my lineage and my healing with folks. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting because you're the second guest and you're the second person to say that as well, that it's your journey and your understanding of these practices and these I guess beliefs in a way that and your experience of that that has led you to want to share that it's not just like it's a cool thing to do oh it's going to be cool to be a yoga teacher and to get into spirituality there's an actual justification for you to to do what you do Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's hard, um, on so many levels to choose this path because, uh, my family being Indian, uh, this is kind of a cliche, but they wanted me to become a doctor. They came here and got PhDs and they were grooming me from the get to be a doctor. And yeah. I just never lived <laughs> with it. I ended up getting a degree in what I called writing for social change. And my whole, my whole life I've been kind of battling with never feeling truly kind of validated and seen in that this is my path by my family and many people are kind of like get a real job and I'm like yeah this is my soul yeah believe me well my dad is from the Punjab and um like he just persistently through my life wanted me to be a doctor or a policeman Hmm. well not man police in the police uh, <laughs> yeah, he was uh, he he was obsessed with me going in the police because it was a regular income and they gave you a pension and they gave you support towards buying your own house and and I was like I don't I don't want to do that. Why is it that a lot of Asian parents always just want you to be a doctor or a policeman or something? It's it, it it's interesting. <laughs> I think it might be related to the caste system in part. Um, because the cast is all about the job that you have kind of tells a story of your lineage and the more prestige your job but the irony there is that philosophers and spiritual gurus are at the you know are highly revered in India's history so the other aspect must be kind of survival like moving all the way out of India your number one goal is going to be to make money to survive and feed your family which is super respectable but we have luxury in the diaspora to think outside of just base needs and so it's just generational too I think I don't know I've tried to ask I've never gotten a straight answer. (laughs) (laughs) There's a really interesting perspective on it, though. It really is. And that's something that I've never thought of. I mean, my um, my own background, my mum is English. um, So I was born in Manchester in England, but um, brought up in a very white community. Um, And contrary to yourself, we never had any of my dad's religious practices at home. apart from he used to do his physical practice every day 
So the thing that has been my narrative throughout my life has not been the spiritual side of yoga practice. It has been the more physical side, a little bit of the sort of Ayurvedic health stuff. He was incredibly reluctant to ever take me to a regular doctor. Um, everything was all about olive oil and going outside in the garden and you know connecting with nature, etc. Using organic products, garlic, what turmeric, whatever. Um, and his physical practice, he did a physical practice every single day. Um, so that was my um, kind of consistency through my life. Um, but yeah, I never, I never, I never had any connection with the community, and it was interesting that you. You're talking about that that kind of justifying your creative self to the family. Um, the the effect that these kind of things can have on people as individuals and their ego when there is something um, that they've got to live up to with the family and something sort of deep in the ancestral lineage that you have to do, but you don't do that. You do something differently. So. Yeah. Yeah. How did you find that then, that, that little sort of bit of justifying what you're doing and, and how you're dealing with your life to your family? I think that's part of my yoga, my personal yoga of shedding the layers of stories that have been placed on me and why I'm activism because, you know, my identity is mine to have and to be empowered by. And when your family or friends or society starts putting labels on you and what you're supposed to be, you get pulled away from, you know, the gifts that you've been given. Sorry about that. I truly believe everyone's born with their gifts. Um, and it's as a parent, your job to foster and support that. And if it doesn't happen, like you said, it creates like a rift inside. So I think that's part of my journey is really owning it. And then I use like social media um, to show people that being vulnerable and like truly owning who you are is healing. So through me kind of justifying it to myself, I spent a long time hoping to get approval, but I turned 30 uh, last year and I think I'm finally kind of out of that yearning. It's okay if I'm not understood by certain people, as long as I continue to understand myself and my worth. Um, so yeah, I think it's part of it. Yeah, yeah. And these things, um, I was talking to Steph um, yesterday, if you're in this podcast, um, just on its own, go and have a look at the chat that I had with Steph Magenta. Um, and she does a lot of ancestral healing. And she's talked about these um, things that are carried forward through our sort of heritage and the impact that they have on us that kind of knowledge in the back of your mind that everything in your lineage has been done in a certain way and then you're the one that's different. It's as though it's a, a heavy burden to, to carry when you're the one that is doing something different to the rest of your, your family, isn't it really? You know, what's interesting is I feel like I'm connecting to my lineage. I my grandfather practiced asana every day as well. Uh, my family on both sides is super spiritual. I think my parents um, were fed into the colonial aspects um, that happened through imperialism and the American dream um, and all of that. And so that created a rift in them from our ancestral knowledge. And so 
practicing yoga, being with the land, living here with the land and feeling truly connected in that way is indigenous to me. And so it feels like a reclamation of my lineage and it feels way more normal, I think, to me than capitalism, nine to five, care about your degrees, care about how much money you're making, this, that, and the other. So I think I might look at it a bit differently. Um, there are things though, like being a queer person, I think I'm the first in my family to be out possibly. Mm-hmm. So I totally understand that, like being the first of in many ways. Yeah. I guess it depends what your family background is. Right. I mean, this is one thing that I found um, again, coming back to the posts that you put on social media and the conversations that you have on your um, studio's Instagram page, um, it's been a kind of discovery for me of feeling like I'm softening into my ancestry, I guess, if that's mm-hmm. a phrase, um, because uh, my entire life was pretty whitewashed, really, mm-hmm. to be honest. Uh, my dad was influenced by the colonialism thing. He went through the partition of India and Pakistan. Um, And the impact that that had then on me of trying to fit into something, it was this sense of never belonging. So I guess learning more about the history and the lineage is this realization that that is where I should be really. Um, I didn't know my grandparents, like you know what the grandparents did. Um, but it feels the right thing to do. Whereas when I was practicing, say practicing yoga in a gym, it all felt a little bit like, oh, I don't know whether I should be here. Uh, You know, I was generally the only brown face in the room. And when you read on paper that this stuff comes from India, and I was like, okay, and my dad's from India. But then I was the only white person in the room. And I was like, oh, okay, there's something a little a little misaligned here and I don't really know what it is. Um, But I guess that brings us on to another point um, that I wanted to talk to you about, which is you do a lot of work around um, your activism and um, working with marginalized communities. That's basically the ethos of your studio, isn't it? Because um, the yoga world uh, since the practice was brought brought to the West in the last, what, 150 years? Um, Mm -hmm. It's basically become a sort of fit white person's thing, a fit white women's thing, isn't it, really? Um, You hardly ever see any men doing it. Um, This is a really marginalized view for anyone that's (laughs) that's listening. Most of the people I know that practice yoga, white women, and there's a few gay guys, who will have come from a dance background, something like that. There's very few uh, men, very few people from an Indian background or any other sort of BIPOC backgrounds that I know. Um, And this is the kind of stuff that you're confronting in your work, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. It is so interesting to know the history of yoga that it was mostly a uh, Brahmin man's practice. And so it came from a problematic background in that it excluded women and um, it played into the caste system in India, but then it got brought here and it's, you're right, this fit uh, luxury item for white women, which is again problematic. Um, how that happened um, is I think the gurus came over and found white women flocked to the concept of it. It became a little bit cult-like and then it got flipped into capitalism. Now it's a corporation. It's a, it's a industrial complex. Um, 
that caters to people who can pay into it. So yes, I am not down with any of that. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting that you talk about the history of it. I mean, I think a lot of us know that it was a practice that was given to like the Indian boys when they were at school. Um, But again, something that I've been thinking about as I've read a little more in the last few years is the idea that it was a practice for the academics. Um, And what about the general population? What about this yoga practice? Going back hundreds of years, um, what were the general population of India thinking of this practice? Is it something that was really uh, contained with the academics? There's a large part of India that was excluded from it. And that's why I think activism is so important. And I think South Asian voices are important because these are nuanced issues. And like, I have the perspective of being able to criticize India's history, yoga's history in the West and in the East. Um, And that's why it's important, right? So there are still folks who think it's a exclusively Hindu Brahmin practice. You know, it's usually men from India and it's like, no, we can take this and make it contemporary and make it accessible and inclusive, which is what it was missing from the beginning. It's super important wisdom. It's really beautiful, like ancient, potent healing wisdom. So let's take the luxury that we have to make it a broad spectrum thing and do that. And so, um, yeah, I think that's why it's important to include brown voices is for this reason that, you know, it's part of our lineage. We can dissect it. Yeah, yeah. That's a really interesting perspective and a new one for me. So maybe a new one for the rest of the people listening as well, is that it was kind of exclusive to begin with. I think with all these conversations that are going on around decolonizing yoga and making it more accessible, there's a presumption that it always used to be for all of India and something happened and then it's not and we need to open it up again. But in actual fact, it was quite exclusive initially. And it's opening up the practice as with everything else to various other people who haven't arrived at the practice through, like you said, it it having been, you know, covered in capitalism. Yes, that's what Buddhism was. It was actually a retaliation to the Hinduism and to yoga. Um, because the Buddha said, you know, you don't need to have anything to practice this, simply, you know, this knowledge and yourself. And um, the whole concept of you need gurus and scriptures that were written in Sanskrit, that was extremely exclusive, because like you're saying, if you didn't have access to education, then you didn't know Sanskrit. Um, And so, yeah, it's important to talk about that and to open it up to uh, that conversation. Absolutely. Mm, Yeah. That it, it, it's so interesting. I'm sure we could sit here and talk about that in itself, like forever. Um, mm-hmm. The other interesting thing that I picked up on, um, I think, where did I find this? It was a quote that is on your website. I really like this quote, actually. The greatest illusion of this world is the illusion of separation. <laughs> Things you think are separate and different are actually one and the same. We are all one people, but we live as if divided. So that was by Guru Patik. Um, And that's really prevalent in the way things are today. Um, If you think about tantric philosophy, tantric non-dual philosophy, 
is about everything and everyone being one part of this universe. Again, that's a bigger mm -hmm. conversation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we do live as if we're divided. There are so many barriers in between us. Um, and it's really good that we're sort of starting to break down these barriers and open up practices to marginalized members of the community. Um, and what do you think, I mean, how it, what is your, feedback on this because I, I'm from an arts marketing background so just to digress a little um in England in arts marketing they were doing the same thing there was this okay theatre and dance has always been for middle class white people we need to open it up we've got such a broad culture in the UK we want to open this stuff up and get everybody involved now if I took a contemporary dance project, which I personally would have thought was wonderful, and then tried to promote it to the ladies in the local Indian center, they, they weren't bothered. <laughs> they weren't bothered about contemporary dance. It was not something that was on their radar. So all these people in the arts world wanting to open it up and be inclusive, it, the people just weren't bothered about it. So how are you finding that kind of thing with Alchemistic Studio? Now you're opening up all these practices and your chakra healing and your asana practice. You do very dedicated classes for very specific areas of the community, don't you? How are you finding the feedback on that? It's been amazing. Honestly, I have been getting beautiful feedback. I have folks in my classes that I wanted in my classes and yeah you throw you put yourself out there and you're like will anyone care is that anyone going to feel my authenticity like you know what I'm trying to build here and um they did and I think it's because I am a queer person I am a person of color I have I'm honest about mental illness I'm honest about trauma and so because I was like, I am someone who was marginalized. I'm someone who felt uncomfortable in these all white spaces. I think it created space to open up for folks to be like, hey, I felt that way too. And now I have folks that are neurodivergent, disabled, chronically ill, people of color, queer folks, trans folks. Like it's an honor to share my practice with them. Every time I'm just like, wow, you're trusting me to hold space for you. And I know that matters. I know that's special because it's hard to find that in the mainstream. Mm. So yeah, the feedback is what keeps me going. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, that's fantastic. And it just goes to show that how many areas of the community are finding that like, regular yoga classes are completely inaccessible yeah it's very based on asana it becomes competitive it brings like white sports into yoga and so it becomes more about comparing yourself to other people wanting to get more flexible wanting to get more strong which are all wonderful things to do on your own time but that's not the point of yoga yoga is more about mind body spirit union and health and this journey that you go on to better understand yourself anyone can do that you don't have to be able-bodied you don't have to be from a dance background and so that's kind of my messaging mm -hmm. that's wonderful i love that and it made me think about the um the nature of, of other things that are in Hinduism, which is, is the, you know, the root of yoga. Um, another thing that we've lost since its, its 
turned to sort of capitalist West, there were a lot of deities that were of various, I mean, how many different genders were there in Hinduism? Um, mm. You know, there's a lot of sorts of different genders, gender fluidity, a lot of different deities, male, female, everything in between of those two mm. constructs. Um, and that's another thing that we lost, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. The binary has been really put in. It's very like access your male energy, your female energy, like uh-huh. divine, divine feminine. Yeah, that's very new age. Um, Indian deities were infinite. They would come in avatars of all different genders, non-gender, transgender. I have trans inclusive classes where I exclusively talk about the trans history in India and in Indian spirituality. And it's vast. So Yes, you're right. I also wanted to throw in one thing that the black yoga community is also very important and excluded um, because the roots of uh, yoga are not only from the Indus Valley, which is the, you know, the Hinduism, the India, Mm -hmm. but also there's beautiful um, practice of Kemetic yoga from Egypt in Africa. And these two places were uh, very close in proximity and also in cultural sharing. And it's arguably originated in Kemetic yoga, scholars are still trying to figure that out but both are thousands of year old practices so it's a black and brown practice and that narrative again like Hinduism yes played into it big big deal but um I think it's because Indian gurus came to the west to give yoga is why that narrative is the most prevalent but I always want to show medic yogis and that it's an Egyptian practice as well which is cool Yeah. yeah again I've seen conversations around that and um I read a transcript quite a few years ago that was discussing, one of my teachers gave it to me and said, this is a controversial piece of research because it's basically saying that yoga isn't from India. And um, it was about the, the African roots. And I can't remember where on earth I put the document. Um, it's always the way, isn't it? Like you get something that's super important and you can't remember where you saved it. Um, <laughs> But again, it comes back to that idea of yoga basically in India being documented by an exclusive club. And Mm -hmm. that happens throughout history, doesn't it? That a lot of the narratives that are carried through to modern day are the books, the manuscripts that have been written by kings and academics. And if certain events throughout history or practices of have existed um, and they're not documented by these high up people it takes us a long time to understand that those practices were actually more widespread and the kemetic yoga is is one isn't it I think it's archaeologists have figured out that it was a practice there yes they found petroglyphs and it's all these asana postures that are in line with yoga from India, like, you know, wheel pose, sun salutations, and also the deities that uh, were being brought in through these asana practices, um, which again, there were many Egyptian deities. So yeah, it's, it's a fascinating conversation. And like, I, I see some, again, I've been in clubhouse chats where Indians really want to hold on. And they're like, no, this is an Indian thing. It's a Hindu thing. And it's like, that's so cool. Let's all unite. We're all marginalized people as black and brown people. Let's find the power in our ancestry here and find how we can connect, you know, like that quote you were talking about, 
we are all one, we're all connected. So rather than creating division, let's, you know, the real enemy here is the capitalist industrial complex that's taking yoga and making it about a hundred dollar Lululemon pants. It's not about whether it started in Africa or India. Like we are ultimately the birth of civilization regardless. Right. So like, that's powerful. That's, that's the important thing to focus on. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Not what fancy yoga leggings you're, uh, you're wearing. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what else I wanted to talk to you about. Your um, oh, the big thing that we shouldn't forget about, um, which kind of brings together all of um, your purpose, really. In a way, your entire purpose comes into this competition, this yoga warrior competition. <laughs> it doesn't. I'm joking. Your entire purpose is way bigger than that. But this could be quite a pivotal thing, you being in this yoga warrior competition. So tell us about that. Um, I mean, I've read a lot that you've put on your on online about being a part of that. And it really mm -hmm. does encompass a lot of the things that we've talked about that the history of yoga is sort of facing now, this capitalist world. So tell us a bit about that. Um, so Yoga Journal had a competition or has a competition for um, any yogi who, so I'll, it'll all unfold, I'll explain it. So it was yogis to come and get $10,000 and a feature in Yoga Journal. For anyone that doesn't know what Yoga Journal is, it's like the biggest American yoga magazine and it's very whitewashed, very much about that yoga industrial complex we're talking about. I have an Indian friend, um, Himalaya, who's been in this business much longer. They featured her, but they put prayer hands on the cover of a white woman, even though the main featured article was her. She's an Indian woman. So it's like that. Like, Good. You know? So they didn't even put her on the cover. She was the feature interview. What? Yeah. Yes. So it's like the belly of the beast. You're right. I, I look at Yoga Journal. I'm like, you are my enemy. Um, but you know, money is funny. They said $10,000. And that means a lot to someone who's starting, who's in a startup business. So I was like, eh, I'll throw my hand in. And they, they picked mm -hmm. me. Uh, and I, all of a sudden I'm thrust into this converse com competition. And first it's like, you know, you have a message, you have a backing, put yourself out there. People will vote for you. And you know, you're going to be in this competition. And I was like, okay, that sounds cool enough. I do have a message. I'm going to turn this into a message about, like you're saying, my purpose, which is if I were to be featured in this magazine, it would be perhaps the first out queer Indian person to ever be featured. And that's important. Our voices need to be in this space. And so that was my messaging. And I got so much support. I was blown away. But then you enter this aspect of it where people could buy votes for the competitors. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the more, the more you get into it, the more they're like, you're an influencer. How can you be more popular on Instagram? How can you do this, that? Yes. And so I was like, hmm, this feels like a pageant all of a sudden. And it also feels like whoever has the most money backing them is going to win. And then I look and I realize like they have a, a lot of us, most white people, and we are each contributing thousands of dollars because I looked and the way that I kept advancing rounds was people were throwing a lot of money in for me. Votes alone wasn't going to get me ahead because everyone wow. had. And so I did the math and I was like, 
man, they're going to make $10,000 plus on this. And, and they said that they were giving the money to the yoga uh, warrior nonprofit, which is for veterans. I do a nonprofit of the month every month with my studio. Personally, I wouldn't choose that one because I think it's another white centered nonprofit. However, cool. Please give money to nonprofits rather than continuing to make billions of dollars off of my culture. Um, but then I've read the fine print. They're only giving 25% away to a nonprofit. So lots of lessons here. One oh is, my God. If, yeah. I am literally sat here through this conversation with my mouth wide open. That's astonishing. Yeah. It's just know. salt in the wound, isn't it? 25% yes. goes to that charity. Mm -hmm. okay. So they're making tons of money off of us and our following our base. And mm -hmm. I took this as another moment to do my yoga in real life. I literally went to therapy a few times talking about this competition because I felt so anxious. And I was like, isn't it ironic that it's a yoga competition? Yoga is supposed to bring peace of mind and unity and clarity. And I feel so anxious. I feel I'm competing with these people. I'm competing with people who have thousands and thousands of more followers than me who are white and thin and able-bodied. What is happening? I'm being sucked into this world that I'm so trying so hard to undo the, the trauma from. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I, and going against your own morals as well. Yeah. yeah. So it turned out it was like $10,000. Okay. A feature in a magazine that could blow up my career. All right. And then my moral compass. And I was like, I know which one matters more. So I released a video and I was like, I want to let y'all know that I see what this is and that they're taking our money. And I want you to know that I don't stand behind it. These are all my findings, only 25%. It's, you know, becoming a popularity contest. But more importantly, I ended up losing in the quarter, quarterfinals. I found a sense of support for my message that I have never felt because I told you I come from this family who had these really high expectations of me that I just did not meet. It wasn't in me. That wasn't my duty. And so I always felt like I was never going to be quote unquote successful or I was never going to get that true backing. Seeing how many folks stepped up, including you, the fact that you resonate with my work and you want to talk to me right now. That was worth way more than $10,000 to me. And it sounds cheesy, but it's true. And I didn't sell out. So fuck yoga journal for that. <laughs> and <laughs> it'll all be fine. Like oh. I want to fund for my, non I want to create a nonprofit out of my studio fundraise and then provide free yoga to everyone. If I get enough money in, I can make all my classes free and then keep attracting the students that I want to see in there. And um, that feels way more aligned with who I am than that situation. Yeah, yeah. So we can't vote for you anymore. Oh, um, I was going to put this out to everybody and say, please vote for Misha. You know, but it's, it's finished. More, I thought I hadn't had anyone pestering my inbox about paying $1 for a vote for a while. But. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, the thing like, for that, it's like, tell folks to follow me because eventually I'm going to create a fundraiser. I was like, wait a second. If I can raise thousands of dollars for Yoga Journal, I can raise thousands of dollars for my studio and pay my teachers because I have all BIPOC teachers. I want to pay them $100 flat rate per class. I'm not there yet, in all honesty. I can't pay them that much. So it's like, cool. I'll, but I'll be in your inbox being like, hey, you want to throw five bucks to Alchemistic? And then, <laughs> yeah. you know? And going so it's not going to be in the yoga journal world it's not I mm. know it you know
you would have thought maybe that something like that would have shifted their perspective just a little bit. I've seen other things come up with, with magazines around, um, it was a UK magazine recently. It did exactly the same thing that Yoga Journal did with your friend. They had a main feature and then featured somebody else on the cover that was just a completely non-related white model. And there was yeah. uproar about it. Oh, it was an advertisement. That was it. They were advertising a particular thing and a particular person's work. And on their social media, they'd used a different image. But you would think that something like this would... Um, trigger whoever's behind that brand just to think about things a bit more and mm -hmm. it's disappointing when they don't but this is the mission this is the revolution yeah yeah at yoga journal to give them credit they are featuring one person i know in my community who's going to talk about the bhagavad gita and cultural appropriation so i think they're plugging things in a little bit but it feels performative i don't think yoga journal is going to all of a sudden up and change and feature big bodies, brown bodies, black bodies all the time and cater to those people. It feels more kind of like check a box, right? Today I had a black model check a box. So we though can continue to build these movements because I have a community around me now. When you first go to yoga, you think the only option is white studios. There isn't, there are folks doing this work besides myself, there's a big community. Once you find it, you realize like, we just need to keep feeding our resources into this community and growing. And then, you know, a, a few of my friends have gotten uh, featured in Newsweek. So there, there's things coming up. It's just, it's gonna take a little time because we're asking mm -hmm. to change everything, you know? Um, yeah, particularly in such a big capitalist world, this is the thing, isn't it? It's as though all our small brown voices are fighting against this big capitalist machine, I guess. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so closing questions we've done over half an hour these things go so quickly um, I probably know the answer to this but it's one of the closing questions anyway what is your favorite thing about what you do and what you bring to the world um, I love connecting with people truly connecting with people I think it's so healing to be vulnerable to share space to hear each other's stories, um, e like even this moment to me is yoga. Um, so yeah, it's the connections that I'm making, especially in this pandemic, you know, it's hard to make friends as an adult as it is, let alone being quarantined. So this virtual world is a way that we can stay connected and I'm thankful for that. Absolutely. Um, shout outs for any of these communities that you want to tell people about that they can connect with and where can we find you online? Sure, you can find me at alchemistic underscore studio on Instagram and alchemistic studio has a Facebook page. It's hard to spell it. So it's A-L-C-H-E-M-Y-S-T-I-C studio um, and www.alchemisticstudio.com. On my page, you can find a ton of folks featured, um, whether it's Dalit Voices, um, Equality Labs comes to mind. It's important to uplift. Um, Dalit is uh, one of the lower castes and I'm working uh, to abolish castes in my work and to uplift uh, the voices that are affected by that. Susanna Barakati is an amazing big voice in our field. Follow her, please. ABCD Yogi features a lot of us all the time. Tejal um, Yoga Studio and Yoga is Dead podcast 
those are all great starts. And then you can go down the rabbit hole and find so many of us South Asians doing this work. Um, Diane Bondi is a big um, black woman who's a, um, spreading yogi and abolition work. Yeah, I could go on and on, but yeah, start there. <laughs> and come join us and have your feed filled with, you know, voices and bodies and mindsets that reflect you. You know, let's stop even imbibing that, that image and that information of that thin white woman that's telling us we're not good enough all the time. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure some of it, just disclaimer, I'm sure there are plenty of white women out there who tell us that we are good enough, but <laughs> the big general narrative is this completely capitalist, whitewashed sense of yoga and the yoga community isn't it and that's why it's important to understand changing that and understanding the narrative of that historically it's not just some hippie types these days saying everything's got to be equal everyone's got you know equality mm -hmm. equity etc there's actually some depth in that there's actually some depth like you said in the ownership of these practices changing the historical narrative anyway from these academics owning it and learning more things like you said of the nature of the deities of the genders involved and the ethnicities involved in yoga as well i'm going to look into mm -hmm. kinetic yoga some more yeah there's there's a tenant in activism like when the most marginalized of us are free and liberated all of us are free and liberated because it starts at the bottom at the, the foundation and so it affects everyone. There are white folks who are affected by colonialism, imperialism, capitalism, and racism, all the way down to the most marginalized folks. So mm -hmm. it, it is inclusive to just, you're right, like it matters to everyone that we create these inclusive spaces that we talk about this stuff um, yeah. in a really tangible way. Yeah, fantastic. Misha, you're an absolute star. Thank you so much for talking to mm -hmm. me. <laughs> I have a feeling. So <laughs> I have a feeling I'm going to pick out some of the points of this and maybe um, do a follow-up podcast soon because there's an awful lot there that I could pick your brain on. Cool. I love that. <laughs> so that is the end of this week's podcast. Thank you so much, Misha. Make sure that you follow Alchemistic Studio on Instagram. And then you can pick up all of these wonderful gems of information that Misha has. And it's alchemistic with a Y, mystic with a Y, as in magic spiritual witch person. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you for joining us this week on Dharma Thinks. Uh, make sure that you connect with us on social media, spread the word about this podcast and these wonderful practices, these great conversations that we're having. And hopefully these things can guide you through, through some of your, your own thoughts and into some new experiences yourself. Let's build a, a solid community. Until next time.